This is a warning to all living mortals that on the 13th of December, Moose will release 13 of the most terrifying interviews of horror unto the world. That's right, 13 brand new episodes in the month of December leading up to our season premiere. And until then, horror hounds, mash on. Buckley, the mother of all evil. Amanda Kruger, in A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 5, The Dream Child. Freddy Krueger's mother. Welcome, Horror Hounds, to another installment of the 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas. I'm your host and gift giver, Moose. And we've hit day five which means we're rounding about the midway point. And what better than what better gift to give you than to bring you, well, I guess, the mother of all evil. That's right. Amanda Kruger herself. Beatrice Bupley. Hello, hello. How is it going? Uh, it's going great. Yes, the mother of all evil. What a claim to fame, right? Right? <laughs> totally. Uh, like, yeah, when you started out acting and stuff like that, I bet you never thought years later you're going to be like, yep, I'm the mom of evil. No, never thought that. Considering the fact that for some odd reason I did play nuns an awful <laughs> lot. But it was always, you know, usually my nuns were normal nuns. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of wicked nuns out there, too, but I never played those. And I always played, um, you know, the good guys. Well, I mean, so is Amanda, quite frankly, but, um, yeah. I'm actually waiting to play the bad guy, um, which I get to do uh, in a project next year, but I am uh, I never, ever have played the villain or the bad guy in anything. Always the good guy. Um, yeah, that's, well, that's one of the things I found interesting going through your uh, credit list is, yeah, it was always like good guy or you know victim or like uh not victim victim's the wrong word um yeah like but, yeah you know it, it was never the i get to be the evil person i get to be the one doing this you're right no i was always I was, yeah no yeah i mean i yeah, you're right. It wasn't really victim per se, but yeah, I got to, yeah, I, I was always, you know, anywhere from being the hero, you know, in, in my quarantine to just, you know, being the nice wife or the mom or the this or the that, you know, but never, yeah, never the bad guy. I guess because I'm such a good and holy person. <laughs> <laughs> so what yeah. got you interested in acting to begin with? What got me interested? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah, um, I, I, from a from a very young age, um, I was in plays and stuff. I mean, from the from the very start, I remember in in kindergarten, which oddly enough, I was in Japan for kindergarten, first and first, second, and third grade. Um, my family was living there at the time, <clears throat> and I you know started acting in plays, the school plays. But um, the first year in kindergarten, I I couldn't speak a word of Japanese yet, so you know I just play the animal, you know, I'd play a sheep or a, or a tree or a star, um, things like that, um, with no lines. But, but acting for me, I think really came from the escapism it provides, you know, you know, growing up, I watched TV and I would watch, um, you know, uh, so there was a show, most of you listening, if you're young folks and you, you think of zoom as just this thing that we do on the computer, but there used to be actually a show called zoom. Um, 
come on and zoom, 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 you know, and it was a kid's show. And yeah. it, um, and they would always feature some kid from around the world. Um, I guess it was kind of like a, a day in the life of just so you get to see how other people live. You know, maybe it'd be some kid in Bolivia who had to go to school uh, by getting on a little boat and rowing across some river or, you know, all, just different little pieces of life and, you know, day in the life of. And it was never a story per se, it was just kind of a glimpse into what what a person's life was like and it would follow that child around so you got to see how kids lived in different parts of the world. And I found that whenever things would be difficult or painful in my life or, you know, whatever, when I was feeling bullied or my my parents, you know, screamed at me or something, you know, and I was sad, I would just go outside and I'd pretend that I was being watched. I was on one of those videos. <laughs> I don't know. And for some reason, you know, I, you know, I guess I would just picture myself as, as just this character that people were kind of watching. So I'd try to make, make it po- like a positive spin on what was going on in my life at the time. It was just some weird little thing that I did in my mind. And it helped me, um, I don't know, it just gave me a little escape from some of the things that happened in my life. And, you know, without going into detail, I mean, I, I had some pretty traumatic and, and tragic things happen, and there was abuses and just difficult things in life growing up. Um, and we were extremely poor for one period of time um, in our lives, you know, being on food stamps and, you know, getting the, having to get the free lunch at school and all that kind of stuff, which nowadays, you know, I noticed um, in schools, they're very, very conscious, at least in my neighborhood, they're very conscious of you know, supporting people in low, you know, low income brackets and making sure that they don't feel ostracized and certainly, you know, that's sort of hidden. Like if you get the free lunch, no, no other kid or even I think, I don't think even the lunch people know. I don't know. They have some system where it's not pointed out. Whereas when I was a kid, it was very much pointed out. We had to stand in a separate line. We got served last, um, you know, and we had to hand this ticket. And for some reason, the lunch ladies always gave me this look like, ugh, you know, you, you pauper. I don't know. Like, they just treated us bad and stuff. And anyway, so so acting or acting in my mind, my imaginary acting, just let me have an escape from that. And then as I grew older, um, you know, I just really enjoyed the craft. So, um, you know, I got involved in plays in school and in middle school and high school, and I won awards, you know, Best Actress Trophy, which is one of the first things I had ever won. Um, and it just got me more and more into it. And by the time I was in middle school, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an actor. Um, the only other choice that I wanted was a horse trainer, but uh, horse school was very expensive. So anyway, I yeah, I got into acting from that. And, and, and to this day, I mean, acting is a way of escaping reality in a lot of ways. So for you know the viewers, you watch the films that we make, and that's an escape for you. But I think for the actors, being in the movie is also an escape, because while you're Playing that role for that period of time, you are that person. You're you're not whoever you are at home with whatever troubles you might have at home. Right. So yeah, you know, and a weird a weird little facet with with that whole thing was um, growing up. I always felt very ugly and big and fat, and I think big especially was came from living in Japan as a little girl because when I look back on the pictures, I absolutely wasn't. You know, I wasn't big in any way. I was very normal, medium sized kid. However, in Japan, back in the 60s, they didn't have milk and they didn't have meat products a lot. You know, they didn't eat tons of meat. We didn't have, we didn't inundate them with McDonald's and our other horrible <laughs> things from America. So they were very slim and small for the most part, most of the Japanese kids. And I towered over all the kids. Like, I was twice their size. But if I, you know, look back, if I was next to an American kid, I'd be the same size. So, but it, it just left me with this concept that I was so much bigger than everyone. And then, you know, I... And I just always felt ugly, which is often is the case if you've been abused when you're young. And um, But when I would be acting, the the role would say, you know, the description would be like, beautiful ingenue or drop-dead gorgeous or head-turning. And I'd be like, what? You know, I, I would never think I could do something like that. But my agent would say, go, go. He'd make me audition. I'd get the part. And when the camera, when I'd stand in front of the camera, I could totally be drop dead gorgeous. I'd feel that character like it was someone else. I could play <laughs> I could play a very beautiful person. Um but then, you know, when I'd come off screen screen I'd be back to being me. But, you know, it's just this weird, bizarre head mental thing that, that yeah. a lot of actors can get into. So how's that for a quick answer? <laughs> 
that was a really cool is probably not the right word, but uh, in-depth answer. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it I, I ask that question a lot and it always fascinates me as to what sparks people to get into the business. Right. And I think this is the first time, you know, escapism has been given as the uh, reason. So it was it was very interesting to sit back and listen to that. Hmm. You know, because I know from like personal experience, that's why I, why I got into acting and stuff like that in high school was to get out and go do something that wasn't me, go be somebody else. Right. So. You know, at the time, like when you're doing it, you're like, am I weird because this is what I wanted, how, this is how I handle life? Right. So now you hear that, no, this is how other people handle it too. You're like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, and, and, and it's a good, like, the thing is, if you can come up with, you know, a way to handle your life better, you know, to get through things, um, you know, in a, in a happier way or, or whatever, you know, like the self-soothing or something, whatever that is for you, you know, if it's not harmful to yourself or to others, then bravo, like the weirder, the, the better, who cares? You know, if, if this is what helps you to handle the ups and downs in life, then, you know, better, you know, rather than having to turn to, to drugs or, or alcohol or, which maybe, you know, a lot of people do that in addition to, but I'm yeah. just saying, you know, by acting, um, Certainly, by you know, going going into um, acting is a is a very safe and healthy method of of handling things, you know. And and I'm sure from from talking to actors, interviewing people, and yourself, you know, so many actors. I mean, the one thing that is in common is is a lot of actors are um, either very shy in person or, you know, um, you know, very different than the characters that they portray. Mm-hmm. So you know, whether that's that was their driving force or not. It does provide, for sure, um, a break, if, if not escape, you know, from from the day to day. You get to, you know, really just like reading on some level, right? You know, reading at the uh, um, when you first learn to read, and you could you could enter another whole world through these words. But as an actor, you get to actually live those other worlds for that time being, and it's pretty magical. Well, I mean, it's just like you know, as yeah, you know, as Watching uh, my niece and nephew uh, not that long ago, and they were doing dress up and all that stuff, and it's like it, it's funny because you have when you're a little kid, that is perfectly normal. You right. expect dress up and playing house and going into yeah that like world of escapism just to kind of use your imagination and. Then as you get older, it seems like we almost discourage that because you have to be business oriented. Right. And then, you know, actors get to go play it. Right, right. And, that, and you know, that's why I think cosplay is so popular. I think, um, you know, Society for Creative Anachronism, um, there's some, you know, or, or, or the um, simulated war games. And, I mean, there's so many different areas in which as adults, you know, people still, you know, people still go for that. Um, what was I going to say? The, the, not fairies, what are the, um, Renaissance fairs, you know, yeah. when people dress up and, you know, people love, people love that, you know, to, to just enter a different person, to have a second persona, maybe because, you know, like you said, society and work and all that really starts to conform us into what we're supposed to be, quote-unquote. And, you know, the soul is very full of creativity and, and imagination. And, and you know, we want to be so many things that, you know, or explore so many things or different aspects of ourselves that conformed business life doesn't really allow us to. So so we find our other ways. Actors just are fortunate that we get to get paid for doing it. Yeah. When we actually, <laughs> not always. And, and not certainly not always, right? <laughs> certainly not in the beginning of your career, but you know you you work towards it. And, <laughs> but that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, that that certainly is the goal. And you know, I always tell younger actors, you know, when they're first getting into the business, is that please remember 
your job, your day-to-day job as an actor is the whole process, the auditions, you know, learning the lines, you know, getting your photos, all the yucky business side of it, that's the job. That's what you're getting paid for. Your reward is when you get the work and you get to act. That's the joyous part. Yeah. You know, but the, the pay is for all the, you're not really, you're not getting paid for playing around on screen doing these characters is for all the years you put before that <laughs> to get to that point and you know all, all that work because because you certainly don't feel like you're you know you need pay i mean you know even the biggest actors i mean you know i can't speak for everyone you see some people doing films that you go why the hell are they doing that you know <laughs> billionaires at this point why would they take that job but you know you never know but i think you know for most most actors i mean we have we have so much joy when we actually get to act but you know, but the business side of it, which is the part that destroys most people, that's what the pay is for, because it's, it's a brutal business, and, you know, oh, yeah. the, any of the businesses in the arts are pretty brutal, I mean, you, you know, you don't get medical, you know, you have no Medicare, you have no um, job security, you, you know, even the biggest movie stars, maybe they finally got financial security, for sure, but you can ask, you know, any of the A-listers, they, they often you know, save for a few handfuls, you know, that, that we could probably every one of us name. Most people, you know, you, you do a great film and you're successful, but you just don't know if or when your next one will be. You know, it's just not a nine-to-five job, so. Well, and I mean, without getting into the politics of it, a prime example is Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Everything mm-hmm. that came out after, you know, leading into and going coming out after their trial now, they're both kind of, you know, what's my next job going to be? Right. You know, so, right. yeah, it could go away like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Johnny will be back, though. Mm-hmm. He'll be doing something. I'm sure of it. Yeah. I have so much more understanding of and, and um, respect for him than, than I did when I, I got to work with him on... 21 Jump Street, you know, because I was just a kid. Well, not really a kid. I mean, a 20-something-year-old yeah. kid, and so was he. But, um, you know, it was just at the start where he was fighting the box of um, that he had been put into as a as a teen idol. You know, and he seemed, you know, so bored and restless by, by that. And I was like, oh, you know, what an ungrateful kid. But I didn't realize what he was inside was so much more I mean, he was a character actor he didn't want to be a teen idol he didn't want that you know stuff so I totally get it now but but at the time you know <clears throat> I was just thinking you know for some young guy to have this much success like, why aren't you happy with it <laughs> right it's like but, this is your show yeah. <laughs> so what was but your you experience learn. on uh, 21 Jump Street like it was I had a great time because um the, the two other guest stars, and I don't remember their names, but if, um, but if you saw pictures, everyone would know them because they've both done a ton of stuff. One of them was um, this big, tall redhead. I know he was in um, National Lampoon. Uh, he was in Vacation. I think he was Chevy Chase, one of his kids. Yeah. His kids. Um, and then the other one is this blonde, looks sort of soap opera guy-ish. But anyway, so we, we the three of us were like the guest stars for that episode, and and I think because it's such a tight-knit group, you know, when, whenever you go on to a, a series, you know, the, the cast members usually, you know, are, are quite bonded already because they work together for day in, day out, week after week, month after month. You know, so the um, the crew, the 21 Jump Street crew is pretty tight. So the guest stars, we kind of got kind of tight, too. And, and we were running around doing all kinds of crazy things and partying afterwards. And, and Johnny was very funny, too. I mean, Johnny Depp was constantly cracking jokes and ad-libbing and doing goofy things and um he was he was a blast too but i i as i said i i I think i had just kind of a wrong attitude about it you know what started was um and i've told the story before so um, if anyone's listened to my interviews i I apologize for repeating the story but when i had my close-up i was you know most of my well all my scenes were with johnny so we were sitting side by side we're on this game show and um, you know, I really want us to win. And whenever it was my close-up, he would, right before the camera would, right before they'd say action, he'd hand me a joke. He'd write some little joke. You know, and 
which would be if if I was a regular weekly castmate, you know, it would be funny. It'd break up the doldrums, I suppose. But you know, I this was one of my first um, TV acting gigs, and I wasn't super comfortable in front of the camera, you know, like you know, because you have to hit your your mark, you have to get you know all, all that stuff. There's a lot of technical stuff that goes on, especially with um, TV, and they're going fast, fast, fast. And I wanted to be professional about it, and then it would throw me out of character. Um, I think what I probably should have done in retrospect, you know, it's like you always think after the fact, what could it, you could have done. Um, if I had taken it as his character doing that, then I could have just played with it and gone with it. But I was, it wasn't in the script and and he would do it before they said action and it would just throw me like, and, and so my concentration would be off and, and I, it just pulled me out of character. So it was very disruptive for my acting process. Um, and, you know, so I just, I was, a, I didn't enjoy that. I was pissed off at him, but, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, not in a horrible way. It didn't leave me, like, hating the guy or anything. It was nothing mean, but it was just like, dude, you know, you're you're a regular. Like, I'm a, I'm a guest star. Like, back off. I'm not I'm not as professional as you yet. I can't just take a joke, you know, read it, laugh, and then continue seriously. It would have been a great, it would have been a great gag, though. Like, if, you know, you're getting it weekly, it'd be kind of like, um, who was that guy, Kato? Was it with, um... Pink Panther, the guy that would always jump down. Yeah. It might have been before your time. But anyway, anyhow. Um, anyhow, so, you know, it'd be great practice. Like, that's actually really great concentration practice as an actor. And, like, right before your, your, they say action and it's your close-up, you know, somebody throws some weird thing at you and you have to stay focused and stay in character. Like, it would be a good practice. But, you know, when you're getting paid and you're an actor and you're trying to prove yourself and you want to get another gig, you, you don't necessarily want to be challenged like that. <laughs> you know, you want to do a good job. And it did throw me a few times. I, I could deliver some really stupid bad lines to this day. There's one line in that 21 Jump Street where <laughs> the, the, we find out that we've gone, we've, um, our team has um, advanced so far because Johnny Depp's character is so smart that we're now going to be on national TV and we're all excited and I'm super excited. And, that's where he, his character is like, oh shit, you know, I've, I've gone too far. Like, I can't get on national TV. I'm an undercover cop. But so my character, I'm supposed to say, oh, we're going to be on TV. And I was like, going to be really, you know, I'm supposed to be excited about it. And it was one of those times he just threw some goofy joke right in front of me, right when they said action. And I'm like, we're going to be on TV. You know, I, I, I sound like goofy or something. And my face is like, ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, I had the most retarded look, excuse that word, a goofy look on my face. And and that's forever captured on film. You know, my husband to this day makes fun of me. Like whenever I do anything goofy, he's like, oh, "We're gonna be on TV," you know, because I look so dumb and it's just like a bad take. You know, and that's the one that they use. Um, and it was really because my attention was thrown. Like I was trying to suppress a laugh, you know, from whatever joke he had put in front of my face, and I really lost it. Like I, you know, so it's very fake and goofy looking, but you know, whatever. <laughs> no, that's that, that's great. I mean, yeah. it, looking back, it probably wasn't the best moment, but it, it does make a great story later. I suppose so. But, you know, it's funny. Those two things. So that scene from that that episode of, of 21 Jump Street where I say, we're going to be on TV with my, and, and my, even my face. Like, I, I tried to screen capture, and, I, and totally, I look like Goofy, like, ooh, 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 you know, but um, my eyes are popping, my tongue sticking out. Like, I'm this cartoonish looking really bad. Um, that, that particular scene and also my um high school i think my senior year or or 11th grade i can't remember i was in the um i was in i was a cheerleader and we had a very feminist cheerleader leader this woman this gay teacher who you know was very she was a feminist and so she had the cheerleaders on our team were both men and they're boys and girls and, you know, where every other high school, every team had these cute, sexy little outfits, she had us in corduroy. Our, our school colors were black and orange, so very Halloween-y. But she had us in these long, thick corduroy overalls <laughs> with these big black coat overalls, orange cowl neck sweaters, and um, and top hats. And, you know, like pretty much anything that could possibly be sexy on a body was very well covered in these these outfits. And so if that wasn't bad enough, like every time we show up at games and everybody's all sexy and then, oh, here comes the spectrum kids. But anyway, um, but then in the yearbook, it has me in that awful outfit and everyone's arms are up with a pom-pom and they caught when my arms were down. <laughs> so those are my two, I guess the opposites of claim to fame. Like those are my claims to 
embarrassment that will live on forever because I got <laughs> that photo and that we're going to be on TV. <laughs> I was gonna say that those are your uh, those are the moments that keep you humble, though. There you go. Oh, for sure. Oh, I've got plenty of those. Oh, speaking of humble, that this is a funny story. It just popped into my mind when you said that was when I was in I was living in L.A. I think I think I had done Elm Street. I think we had maybe I had just done Elm Street. Um, you know, I had been in Stakeout with Richard Dreyfuss and Emilio Estevez, and um, I, you know, I'd done, a, and I'd started my all my Canadian films. I was probably at the top of my career at the time in terms of how, all the work I'd done. Um, it was really actually nearing the end of my career, my hiatus. But anyway, so I had done a bunch of stuff on TV and film, but I was brand new to uh, to LA because I'd been acting in Vancouver most of the time, and I, I, I figured I was pretty much unknown in, in LA. Elm Street hadn't come out yet. We had just filmed it. So anyway, I was working as a waitress, and these two ladies in my section, the whole time, you know, as I was getting ready and going around to other people, I saw them. Like It drew my attention because they kept staring at me and talking to each other and staring and maybe even pointing. But they were in my section, so finally I come over, and the one lady goes, you're in the movies, aren't you? And, you know, I'm kind of thinking to myself, yeah, so is everybody in L.A., but yeah, I I, Mm -hmm. I am. I smile, you know, and she goes, she goes, see, I told you, I told you. And she's, you know, not, you know, whapping her girlfriend. She goes, you were in stakeout. And I was, I was pretty impressed because, you know, it's not a big role. I play Amelia's wife, but, you know, anyway. So, so I was like, yeah. And she goes, oh my God, I see, I told you I was right. Can I please have, and as she said that, I don't know if you're an actor or just listening up to that point, what would you think she's saying? Autograph. Can I please have, yeah, right. So I whip out my pen <laughs> and she goes, a coffee and another coffee for her too. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, so she goes, can I please have, and I pull out my pen, she goes, a coffee. And I'm like, uh, oh yes. And I quickly whip out a pad and I'm like, two coffees and I write it down. <laughs> <laughs> so, so talk about keeping it humble. I mean, I don't know if she does, I don't know if they would go around and do that on purpose. It's kind of funny if they do, I suppose, but, um, <laughs> it, it definitely got me because I was like, you know, Ooh. anyhow. So yes, yes, there's things that keep you humble. I, you know, life keeps you humble. Uh, and I think acting, you know, I, even when I was at the top of my game, which, which was, I would say 1989, I had both Quarantine and Matinee, which are Canadian low budget films, but they had both, um, come out and, and then Elm Street had come out. Um, and, uh, and my two, the two films that I started, in, you know, came out back to back. So I was, featured at the Vancouver Film Festival. They had, you know, the red carpet and the whole thing, and I had tons of TV and magazine interviews. I was sort of like the it girl in Vancouver at the time with my career, this big, wide career ahead of me. And, um, and uh, you know, I show up for the for the screening and everything. And because of this dumb infighting between the director of Quarantine and the director of Matinee, Quarantine had hired me first. I was the lead in that. And while we were filming, the director of Matinee offered me one of the lead roles. Um, that was more of an ensemble, but they offered me one of the lead roles in that without me even auditioning. And the director of Quarantine, after I said yes, was pissed at me. And I was like, what? He's like, you know that he's my arch enemy. I hate him. I'm like, but I'm an actor. Like, how on earth would I turn down a role? You don't have another role for me right after this. Like, like give me a break. You know, but he, for the whole, the last, two weeks of filming he just iced me even though I was the lead character in his film and so then at the film festival you know and again it's it's you know I'm like the hero of that movie and, and whatever first title character and, and he stands up and he's introducing the whole cast he's mentioning everybody you know and we want to thank this we want to thank this. doesn't mention my name and then then when he's done almost like an afterthought he goes and big, by then Elm Street had come out and he goes Oh yeah, and that that Nightmare on Elm Street girl, Beatrice Bubbly. <laughs> I'm like, what a jerk! You know what? <laughs> but whatever, God. you know. So one time you star in a film, and this is what you get. But anyhow, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. So, were you a Plus, fan of horror at all growing up and stuff like growing that? Growing up, no. I I've turned into one. Oh my God, my fans have turned me into a major horror fan, but. But um, growing up, I always loved scary stories, though. You know, so I was, you know, I was a kid of the '60s and '70s, um, and I'm an old lady, and so we we had more like the you know trilogy of terror and things like that, and also 
having lived in Japan as a little, little girl, like Japanese ghost stories are just terrifying, bone chilling. Like, yeah. So creepy. You know, and so I always loved, you know, when I was brave enough, if I had somebody with me, you know, I loved to watch a spooky, scary movie and get, you know, the Jesus scared out of me. But I never was into gore, you know, and just blood and guts. Like, that just does nothing for me. It's like, well, it's just messy. And, you know, and so so that kind of turned me off from, a, from you know, really slasher kind of films. But but spooky ones I always loved. I loved a haunt, good, scary haunting thing, you know. And um, uh, But as far as, you know, most of the horror culture, I'm catching up on, on it now. I guess as I've become a fan now, so I'm like now starting to watch all the other. I, I've probably seen the first one of a lot of things. Like, you know, I did see Halloween. I did see Friday the 13th. You know, I had seen the first Nightmare on Elm Street before I was in five. You know, I had seen, like, one of each of those ones. But in the later years, I, I had never seen Scream. I had never seen, um, who's this new, um, you know, Terrifier, any of the more modern things I haven't seen. So I'm starting to catch up on all that now. Oh, yeah. Although I'm really loving Korean horror. But, uh. Yeah, anything that's, like, not American is super intense and can get super creepy. Right? Yeah. There's just a sensibility. I mean, with Korean stuff, what I love is the character development and the story development. It's just, they just do such a great job that just pulls you in whether you like gore or not. You know, you, you just love, end up loving Squid Games, you know. You know, I, I hate to say that after the first episode, I got used to, okay, everyone's going to be mowed down and die each episode. Yeah. You know, and you get, it does kind of, it, it does desensitize you, that's for sure. Um, but, but it wouldn't have done anything for me if they were just dumb characters I didn't care about. But, you know, that's how they got me into zombie films, too. Like, when you, if there's a good story and you care about the people, then you watch and it pulls you in and you get, you know, drawn into it. I say, but whether not, you, you know, want them to live or you want them to die. Yeah, either way. And But you care one way or another, whereas other, you know, bad films for me, I just, just couldn't care if they live or die. It's like, ah, I just don't care about these people. Right. And you're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's and and great films get you rooting for the bad guy, you know, for sure. Uh, either way, whether you're rooting for the bad guy or the victim, it's, you know, you got to be rooting for somebody. You got to care, otherwise, why sit through it? You know, people that, you know, if you're a fan of of you know the gore and and the special effects and you know seeing how ooh how they did the guts and all that, you know, I I guess you don't need character as much. But I think more often than not, most people really want some kind of character to care about. Even if it's that you love hating this person, you know. Well, and then, yeah, that brings us to Nightmare 5, where you play Amanda Krueger, Freddy Krueger's mom. And it's funny, because I just, you know, I rewatched it not that long ago in preparation for this. And I'm watching it, and I realized that. I think part of why your character has become so well-liked and almost revered from that movie is everybody fears their mom, including Freddy Krueger. Absolutely. (laughs) Right? And that is, that is awesome being... The one that he's, you know, afraid of. I mean, who, what you other You are Freddy's nightmare. <laughs> yep, I am. I am just like every mom. I'm Freddy's nightmare. I, I, before we say anything else, I got to ask you. So, having watched it again more recently, did you like it more this time? I did actually. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, there's a lot of Nightmare Five haters out there. You know, and um, and I just think, you know, because it came on the wave of four, you know, and three and four, you know, you. People that love that, you know, you really got into that group, that gang of kids and the whole, you know, the dream warriors and all that kind of stuff. And then, then, you know, five was just pushed out so quick right after it and, and was such a different take and, you know, different feel, you know, and I think as young people who were watching it, you know, got really turned off by it and, you know, hated it. But I think if they watch it again as an adult, I would think that, you know, eight out of 10 people that didn't like it would like it. That's my opinion. You know, if they watched it again now as an adult. and Runs a perfect line between 
the goofiness of where Nightmare was going. Right. And it, it brings in a lot of the older horror style from where it started. I mean, it, it skirts that line very well. Yeah. Well said. That's true. Yeah. You know, because it's definitely got, like, to me, like, the sets are some of the best in the whole series. You know, they're mm-hmm. very gothic, dark, you know, just the church looks just amazing. That that weird Escher staircase scene is amazing. The you know um, even the hospital room just was like like really well done. I I just loved the whole look, the eeriness of it all. Um, but uh, you know, oh, and the, that woman that played his mother, oh my god, she was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder who that what was. What was her name again? How do you pronounce that name? <laughs> who was that? No, but I, I do, like, I do, like, I, believe me, like, I, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. I, I, I know a stinker when I see one. I've, I've been in a few stinker productions and, um, you know, I mean, even this film, like, I star in Quarantine. I'm the lead in that. And it's not a great movie. It's just not. There's a lot of good things about it. Um, not which is my acting. My acting was not great in that. And I'll tell you exactly why, because, I was fighting the director, and, and I learned from that. You never do that. If you don't agree with the director, whatever. Give in to his way, because he's the director. You're the actor. You're there to follow his vision. And every time I've ever tried to, I didn't agree with the director's take on the character, and I went against them, it's like the show is a flop. You know, it might have been a flop, even if I'd went with the, the, what the director said, but maybe not. And in quarantine, he wanted me to be more like a, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like kind of one word, cool, and he wanted it to be a sexy hero, you know, not, you know, she doesn't say much, just like one or two words, not a lot of personality, but, you know, but sexy is all get up and go, and I fought that like a stupid idiot, because I was too close out of high, uh, out of college, you know, with theater school and my theatrical training, and I'm like, you know, he wanted her to be in these sexy outfits, and Gosh darn it, that was the one time in my life I actually could have pulled it off. I, you know, it was way before kids. I actually had a body that stood up to it. Um, you know, and, but no, I'm like, oh no, she, she wouldn't come, where would she get those kind of clothes? It's, you know, post-apocalyptic, you know, she's, she's, um, she just grabbed some men's clothes so she could get around fast. You know, I, I don't know. I just fought him on every, everything, you know, and I tried to make her a more real character in my mind. And so what you see is kind of neither here nor there. She's sort of a one-word thing, you know, kind of a little sort of sexy, but not as sexy as she could have been. But she certainly didn't. It didn't work for either of us. So maybe maybe that's why he hated me. <laughs> I, I didn't do my job as an actor in that film. Anyway, and and as a result, it wasn't great. But there was some there was some very good performances. The bad guys in it were phenomenal. They're they're just good actors. There's some really cool sets, really imaginative ideas. You know, so it's certainly, it's certainly for free. It's a good movie. It's a sci-fi thriller. And, you know, but my point in that is that if, if a film isn't good that I've been in, I, I know it. I, but I don't feel that with quarantine. I mean, with Matt, um, Elm Street. I really feel Elm Street 5 is a good movie, uh, in the Elm Street, um, franchise. And, and I think it, you know, it has its shortcomings, but each of them do kind of, you know, each yeah. do, but I think it has enough strengths that it stands on its own. And I, I think it's been misunderstood. But maybe it will have its second coming the way Nightmare Two has now, really. Yeah. Come, you know, it's it's like it's probably the top film right now of the franchise in terms of not necessarily in terms of what it you know if you survey people, but it's doing the best. Like it's got the most interest now, and Mark is just finally you know just getting all the glory that he never got you know, and he deserves it for the shit he put up with right in the beginning. You know, he was pretty much destroyed from it and. It's good to see. It's a good comeback story. Oh yeah, it's it's good to see it circle back around and you know get the recognition it should have gotten when uh, it came out the first time. Yeah. So five, I think you know if people take a chance and rewatch it again with different eyes, I think that's what you really need to do with Elm Street is see each one individually. You know, and then you still might like or not like some of them. That you know, everyone has it's fair. Everyone absolutely has has the right to like or dislike anything they want. But but I think some of the shortcomings was how it came in so quickly on the heels of four and it wasn't people wanted more of that, I think, and and it wasn't, so they poo pooed it right off the bat. And I think if you know, years later now, if you look at it with different eyes and just 
see it for what it is, you might enjoy it more than you did the first time. This my my humble opinion. I say watch it more individual than oh, this is number five in a series. I just right. watched four. Now next I'll watch six. No, just sit down, pop it in. Yeah. And it goes with any of them because I mean, it, it, it's outside of the first one where Freddy is insanely dark. Yeah. Uh, they're all really goofy and yeah, you know it. it they all have their quirks and their ups and their downs, and as a franchise. It's a roller coaster. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but uh, I think you're right. Individually, you sit down, you'll find enough of enough things you like to be like, yeah, okay, this isn't as bad as I remember. Right. And if nothing else, just watch all my scenes. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) When I watched, um, uh, when I when I worked on um, uh, Stakeout with, you know, I played Emilio Estevez's wife, and you know, Richard Dreyfuss was. Um, you know, starring in the film, and he was just such an awesome guy. And we ended up, you know, getting to know each other well. And I, I, um, I, I won't go into the story because I've told it so many times. But, um, but anyway, he, you know, he ended up working, um, showing up for a workshop that I asked him if he could just um, leave for us for my for this group. I had professional training for actors. Anyway, but in preparation for that, we, we were talking about films, and I was asking him, you know, does he watch his own movies? And he goes, he goes, oh, hell yeah. He goes, but I just, I, I use the remote control, and I'm like, fast forward, fast forward, bullshit, bullshit, me, bullshit, bullshit, me, you know, and he'd freeze frame on every time it was his scenes, you know. And, you know, so that's what you guys can do. If you don't like five for any other reason, which is, is sad because there's a lot of really awesome things, at least my scenes are good, so watch me. You can fast forward and go, B, fast forward, fast forward, B. <laughs> well, and you had arguably one of the more serious roles in what could be one of the goofiest movies they've put out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have a birthing scene. You have essentially a resurrection scene. I mean, there's just so much going on with your character. Yeah. It is It is pretty phenomenal. And I... And you know, my my uh, appreciation for the opportunity I was given, you know, has just quadrupled since, you know, recently since, since I've gone back to gone back to it and watching it and interacting with it. I, I'm so stoked for because this this weekend, this Friday and Saturday is the the Freddy Fest at the Mahoning Drive-in in Pennsylvania, in Layton, Pennsylvania, and I have never seen them on. You know, I've seen them all on my TV. Um, I, I, you know, to be honest with you, people have asked me, and I'm so, you know, I can't remember. I, I have a feeling I wasn't at the, at the screening I'm, um, for Elm Street. I might have already moved off to India at that point, because I don't actually recall it. So I don't know that I've ever seen any of them on the big screen, besides number one, you know, the first one. Um, so it'll be awesome to see, and I've certainly never seen myself on a drive-in movie theater screen. Like, that's going to be wild. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, to see that. And with those big gothic scenes, like it's going to be pretty, pretty amazing. I'm really stoked to see that. But yeah, in five, yeah, she, her serious character. I am. It's one of the. It's something I am proud of that. Um, even before I had the deep understanding that I feel that I do now of, of Amanda, you know, because I've lived with her for you know three decades, over three decades, and and her story has grown and grown in me. Um. In fact, which is why I wrote the book. I don't, you know, I wrote a book, Kruger's yep. Curse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I, I've written this book, Kruger's Curse, Nightmare Before Elm Street, and it's, it's the whole backstory to Freddie and Amanda, um, his beginnings and her beginnings, and and it it follows exactly how the film portrayed it. You know that you that mostly gets revealed in number six, but um, but it to me it answers all, it fills in the holes, the little gaps that the film doesn't explain, like. You know, why was his stepfather, that Alice Cooper character, you know, what made him so nasty? Why was he beating the crap out of the kid? Um, did he have a wife? Is that, you don't see a, a mom around in those scenes. What was Freddie, you know, did he have any relationship with his mother? You know, you assume she gave him up for adoption because she's a nun, but he does seem to recognize her in five. He's like, you know, he knows it's his mom. You know, calls her a bitch and he's scared of her. And, yeah. You know, so I kind of, 
you know, and then where I took liberty is, you know, artistic liberty is with, you know, filling in some of those details, you know, you know, how, why he always wears the green, that, that particular sweater, you know, why is that the thing he shows up in and, you know, uh, where did he get the fedora and, um, you know, all kinds of little insider things, which makes the story great for fans. And I think that's why my, you know, the people who've read it loved it so much. Whereas my non film watching, non Elm Street watching friends, I'm like, oh, should I read the book? I'm like, no. I, you know, I really Probably don't think not. it makes <laughs> Yeah. And it, it wouldn't make sense. Like, none of it, it's not really, it doesn't, it wouldn't make sense to them. Like, there's not much, you know, I, but for, for Elm Street fans, there's like all these nods, you know, like, you know, the whole thing with them. The jump rope girls. You know, there's a scene in there that, to me, is my take on what might be why they always would show up before he appears. You know, but if you're never seen in Elm Street, you're reading that and just go in one ear out the other. You don't know what that reference is to. And so it's filled with a lot of insider little things, little nuggets that, you know, I, I just think it's a fun read for an Elm Street fan. Um, and, oh, sure. Uh, should I plug it here? I'm plugging it. Buy it, buy it. It's well, I was just going to ask, where can people get it? They can get it, um, obviously, at any show that I'm at, I'm always going to be bringing them until they're sold out. I only made, I, I was originally only going to do 100. Um, and I before they even came from the printers, all 100 sold in pre-sales, so I did 200. Oh, wow. But I, I'm that, my plan is that's all I'm going to do. So I think I have like 45 or so, I think 45 left that I'll be bringing with me to shows. But I also have it on my website, which is just my name, BeatriceBuckley.com. So you can buy that there, and I autograph it, you know, to whatever you want. But um, it's a it's a great, you know, addition to any Elm Street collection, and I think it's just a fun read for any Elm Street fan, you know, because they the movies, you know, gave us, number six gave the most, you know, that we know he got married, we know he had a daughter you know he killed his wife um you know but and we you know we know what ha- we basically know the outline of what happened to him bef- before number one starts you know before the very first elm street starts so this is this takes you back even a little bit further to the history of his family all the way up until he dies and he gets burnt and she dies um and so basically where my book ends is where the num- elm street one would start um so it's a prequel. Let's see, I, but, uh, I need to pick up a copy of that book. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, as I have said and, and before to people, you know, I, I'm i so glad I wrote it. Like, it was just, I, I just felt really passionate, especially when I heard that there, you know, that there's a possibility of prequel coming out. I was like, i got to tell my version. I, I want that out there first, just so that it's out there. Um, because who knows what any film company will do with a prequel. They may or may not do it justice the way I, I feel it should be done. So I wanted yeah. to get my story out. So I, I just, you know, knuckled down and, and wrote the book um, in less than a year. And I, you know, I hired really great artists, too, for the artwork. You know, um, Joe St. Pierre, who's, who's an illustrator for um, uh, Marvel Comics and, and DC Comics. And he did he did a number of them. And um, and then the cover is, um, is the artist who... Uh, he he actually ends up doing most of the most of the illustrations in there, but anyway, I just I really wanted to get it out there, and um, I after I wrote it, and once I was going into production, which was a whole learning curve for me, um, lots of mistakes. But anyway, when I was trying to get it self-published, I first was going to go with publishers, and they all were like three publishing firms instantly when they read my copy. You know, they were like, "Oh, we love it. We we absolutely will. Um, we want to publish this." Um, so you've you've gotten the rights, and I was like, no, I thought that's what you do. I thought the publishing company gets the rights, and they're like, oh, we are not going to deal with Warner Brothers or the Craven Estate. I'm like, <laughs> so I attempted many, many, many times, and you know, contacted, sent emails, sent all the stuff, and many industry insiders um, and other people who from the franchise who've written books said, don't, don't go through them. Just do your own. Unless you're making millions of dollars, it's not even worth it to them. They're not even going to bat an eye. Like, if it's just something you're selling with fans, go ahead and do it. You know, because what we do as the actors in the film, we're promoting, we're keeping this franchise alive, too, with along with the fans. You know, we're keeping the characters alive and the story alive. And we're, it's, it's some new food for the, to keep the fans 
you know, to me, it's fans are number one. Like, without the fans, this would not have lasted three decades, you know. It, the fans, 100% are what's keeping it alive. And, but, you know, just like any candle, you need some fuel. Like, fans get hungry. They want to see something interesting and new to keep their interest in it alive. So when, you know, the convention's certainly getting to meet the actors, you know, but then anytime there's, like, a, something new to do with a franchise, it helps stir the imagination. So, so yeah, both Warner Brothers and Craven Estate, you know, as long as you've done it respectfully, and, and certainly, yeah, you know, I'm 200 books. They, they couldn't care less. Like, that's nothing to them. So I want to keep it at that, you know, and if, if it ever, you know, it's out there, and I've uh, approached them, and they know whether or not they want to say anything about it or not is, is up to them. I've sent it to Robert, you know, and, you know, it's it's there. So, um, but that is also one of the main reasons why you can only buy it autographed by me, because it's basically a vehicle that I'm selling my autograph, and it's a gift to the fans, is the le- legal way that you can sell yeah. property. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that way I wouldn't be in a catch, so I, that, that's just sort of the legality of it. But um, I feel very um, good about it. I feel very positive. I really feel, I, I, I would have loved for, you know, if Les Gray was alive, I'd love to have had his feedback. And I think he would, I honestly think he would be like, yeah, right, this is awesome. You know, I, I do, just because it, it's it's very um, loyal to every point that was made about their background. Um, the only thing I had to clear up a little bit was some of the some of the date. Um, they, if you watch all the films and you really take avid notes, there's so many discrepancies, you know, which happens because there's not a continuity person throughout all, you know, all of them. So there's some continuity stuff that doesn't really, just doesn't add up um, from one, one film to the next. But... Um, you know, it just wouldn't make sense. Uh, which they say, I mean, even Amanda, I mean, quite frankly, she would have been older than I was. But that's kind of creepy to have like a 30-something-year-old lady having been raped and having a baby. Well, maybe not so gross because I was actually 42 when I had my second kid. So maybe that's not so bad. But yeah, I was young. If you follow the storyline, Amanda really would have been in her 30s when Freddie was born. You know, and I was like, well, but I wasn't that far. I, I think I was 27 when I played played her, so it wasn't that bad. Anywho, was, had you asked a question? Did I divert us so far away from... No, we were talking about question. the book. Okay. Um, so. Before we uh, move into wrapping this up, I am curious. What is your favorite scene from Five? My favorite scene. Well, I personally, I love that cartoon. I love Joe Seeley's Mark character getting cut up as a, you know, some people love it, some people hate it. I, I, I love that. It was so creative to me that he turns into a cartoon and gets all chopped up. That was a wackadoodle crazy for me. Um, I'd say I that was like quintessential scenes. 80s. What, what was that? That was like quintessential 80s right there, like super yeah, MTV. Totally. You know, it just goes into this whole cartoon thing so I, I do I really do love that one and and of course I love all of my scenes just because I do I can't help it I love them um, but and I can certainly tell you my my least favorite is, is uh, Greta's being fed her stomach I mean it, to me it's like the most gruesome and yeah like, I it was the one scene for which I wouldn't let my kids watch the film when they were growing up I didn't want them to see that one just because Oh my God! It's her own stomach. Oh, and that was even you know most people are only seeing the edited version. It's it's a pretty darn gruesome kill. Yeah, um, it is. But you know, creative though. When you think about, it, I mean, that's one of the things I love about Freddy's kills. You know, when he, you know, he's going into your dreams and he's you know like he goes after your like in five. Each one was the person's thing, right? You know, so the the. She's a model, and, and everything's about her weight and watching what she's eating, you know. And so it's so, I, you know, ironic, you know, that and perfectly fitting that that's what he's doing. He's feeding her her own self, you know. And, um, you know, and, the, and, and uh, Mark with his cartoons, because he escapes into his cartoons. So, of course, that's how he, you know, gets killed. And, and, and Danny with his motorcycles and, um, and uh, oh, what is her name? It's the... It's What's the character's name with the pool? Oh, Yvonne. Yeah. Yvonne. Yeah. You know, the swimming. Like that's. You know, I love that. Like that's psychological. It's cool. It's you know, 
going through your own fears and, and getting right into your your mind like that. It, it's a fun, you know, instead of just come up, do the mask on, don't say a word, and just step, 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 kill, kill, kill. Yeah. That's <laughs> not as interesting to me. Not that I'm referring to any other franchise by saying those things. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, but, yeah, Mark's, Mark's kill, I, I, I found that enjoyable. I mean, maybe you should, should be enjoying kills. Well, yeah, I guess that's what horror fans do, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's part of what I watch it for, is see... Like, that, that was always my favorite part about finding out a new Nightmare was new nightmare movie was coming out. It's like, cool. How is he going to kill people in this one? In this one, right. Yeah. You know, it was the same thing with uh, whenever I'd see a new Leprechaun movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, how is he going to do it? Right. Yeah. And then, and then my, probably my least favorite, but perfect, perfect thing that my son does is the damn scratching on the, you know, which was so ingenious of Wes Craven, you know, that, because we all, that's just this grinchy sound of the chalkboard, the nail on the chalkboard thing, you know, and and when Freddie does that, it's just like, ah, you know, it just, it does, it sends some thing down your spine. It's such a yeah uh, disturbing sound. I love that, that, that that's kind of one of his character things, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they, they focus hard in on it too, like or just that screech right there, just that long yeah. drawn out. It's like, oh, stop. Right? Because it does, it makes your body curl up. It's like this, uh, like you have a visceral, physical, emotional, mental reaction to that sound. Like we all are like, ah, <laughs> what a great way to get everybody like uncomfortable in their seats. Like for sure. I hate that sound. Kind of thinking about it. Up. I'm, uh, so I'm tightening up thinking about it. <laughs> right? Isn't it? Yeah. My, I, I, like when I was making that sound, I'm cringing with my body. Right. So yeah. where can listeners keep up to date with everything you have going on on social medias and stuff like that? Yeah. So on Facebook, it's Beatrice Buckley, B-O-E-P-P-L-E. Um, on Instagram, it's Beatrice uh, Low, what is that? Low dash, you know. Yeah, like, underscore whatever. Underscore Buckley underscore Elm Street, and then I also do have a account, although I I'm new to it, so I haven't done much on um, Slasher. Um, and I actually even did start I, at one point. I I attempted. I I created the TikTok account <laughs> where I just usually have weird dancing baby Freddy, but um. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, my, my sons, my sons are, one is 18 and the other one's 21. Um, and they're both like, you know, mom, you're just, you're too old to be doing this social media. Don't do it. They, they think my, everything I post is just really embarrassing for them. So, but it's not about them anymore. It's about me. <laughs> so, so if I want baby Freddie to dance or sing, I can do it. Right. So there. He's my baby. I can make him do whatever I want. <laughs> That's right. Uh, do you have any yeah, projects then, coming uh, out uh, in the next year or so that you're able to talk about? Next year, if it, if all goes well, um, there's going to be a um, filming will begin on this um, Emerald Forest, which is uh, Darren Lee Culp is um, directing. It's a fantasy film um, sort of based on... Wizard of Oz, but the interesting thing about it is it's got all the Elm Street people, so Lisa Wilcox stars in it, Danny um, Hassel stars in it, Mark Patton stars in it, and I I have a couple interesting roles in it, and I finally get to play somebody bad. I all right. For, like a really wicked character. And then uh, Felissa Rose will be in it, um, Sleepaway Camp, so several... Uh, horror genres will be in that film. So it'd be quite interesting um, to do that. And then there's a couple other things that are in the works. And again, I can't announce any of them and some aren't confirmed yet. But if you follow me on Facebook or Instagram, um, that would be awesome. And if you want to buy photos or anything like that, um, you can check out my website. Again, it's just my name, BeatriceBuckley.com. And I'm hoping everyone's going to have a wonderful holiday season. And uh, listeners, I'll like always, I'll post those links in the episode description make it easy access and you can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or if you just want to find more stuff from me head over to 
Facebook, or Twitter at Moose Media Inc. Beatrice, this has been phenomenal. Yay. Considering we were both exhausted when this started, we knocked right? an hour out really fast. Yes, we did, and oh my, we've been ta- oh my goodness, we've been talking a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's hard to get me to shut up. Don't ask me questions. <laughs> That'd no. be an interesting interview. Hello. Hello. Goodbye. Yeah. Later, <laughs> folks. Uh, but no, th- this has been fun. It was insightful, honestly. As you're talking, I was kind of sitting here like, you know, little cross-legged kid just kind of watching the phone, just like, oh, this is fun. Yeah. You know, just. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure. Oh, I thank you. And have you back on again once uh, Emerald Forest and your other projects come out. And we'll touch base, see how everything's going. Just Awesome. And after you read my book, you oh, can oh, give a of nice course. review. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely do an episode on the book. There you go. And okay. Until next time, listeners. Mash on. Ha <laughs> ha